Well, hey, friends, it is so good to be with you today. If you are tuning in for the first time, just so glad you're here. My name is Jason Wolliver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads. So glad that you have joined us and pray that you feel the presence and the power of God through the word today. Today, we're actually starting a brand new message series that's going to take us a few months to get through, where we're going to be going section by section through the book of James in the New Testament. And we're calling this message series Practical, because James is just filled with practical wisdom for everyday living. Today we're going to be looking at just the very first verse of the book of James, James 1, verse 1. If you want to pull that up on your phone or in your regular Bible, go ahead and do that. As you're doing that, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. This is the slice of life from Jesus' three years that he was in public ministry. And this passage from John 7 gives us a glimpse of some of the internal dynamics going on between Jesus and his biological siblings as his ministry was being rolled out during that period. Listen to this, John 7. It says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, I pray that you would just touch us with your spirit and your power today. Come, Holy Spirit. Move within us. Uh, Work within us your greater development of our character and our dependence and our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as some of you know, my family has recently gone through a somewhat traumatic event. We took my son Landry to college and dropped him off for the freshman year in his time at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. And so it's my oldest, and we moved him out of the house. It was crazy. I got to tell you, uh, the most heart-wrenching part of that for me as a father was watching my son say goodbye to my three daughters. Of course, he's grown up with them. They've lived in the same house, close quarters, their entire lives. And like every other sibling grouping, some days they got along, some days they didn't. Some hours they got along. Sometimes things would change within the hour. It was just like any other family. But when they said goodbye to one another, it was very clear that the overarching feeling was affection and love, even through all the ups and downs. But in preparation for this new sermon series, it really got me thinking, what would it take for my daughters to believe not just that their older brother was a pretty good guy, but that he was also the son of God, the Messiah sent from God? Now, of course, my son Landry isn't the Messiah, but that is the cognitive leap that James eventually had to make about his brother, Jesus. And it wasn't an easy one. 
The book of James starts out with these words, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So as we start off this journey through the book of James, today I just want to talk about who was James and what was he going through and who was he writing to. Now since the earliest days of Christianity, there's been a consensus that this letter was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. We say half-brother because, remember, Jesus, his biological mother was Mary, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit when Mary was still a virgin. So Joseph adopted him as his son, but he wasn't Joseph's biological son. But then uh, Mary and Joseph had several other kids, and so James would have been the biological son of Mary and Joseph. And so in Mark chapter 6, we read about this time when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth, and it talks about his brothers and sisters who were there. He had started his spirit-filled public ministry, and so he goes back to his hometown. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 6. It says, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So the people of Nazareth, they would have remembered that there was some cloud of mystery surrounding the birth of Jesus. They probably remembered, it was still probably a story that was sometimes told, about how Mary had become pregnant before she and Joseph were married. But then somehow they decided to stay together, and this child Jesus was born. But then things had evened out. They had gotten married, they continued to raise Jesus, and then they had these other sons and daughters, and then Jesus had grown up, and eventually he had taken over the carpentry business of his father, Joseph. We would assume that Jesus was a pretty good carpenter, <laughs> and definitely a good citizen of Nazareth. But then, when he was 30 years old, he went off to this religious revival that was taking place at the Jordan River outside of Jerusalem. And John the Baptist, this prophetic guy, was calling people to come and get in the water and re-proclaim their allegiance to God and God alone. And so Jesus went and he was baptized by John the Baptist at this big revival. And then he disappeared into the wilderness for over a month. And when Jesus came back from the wilderness, he was different. He started preaching publicly that the kingdom of God was at hand calling other people to repent of their sins and turn to God wholeheartedly. And he was doing miracles. He was casting demons out of people. And he was uh, healing the sick. And he was teaching things that were new twists on the Old Testament law. And people were astounded at him. And then he comes back to Nazareth. And people are having a hard time grasping how Jesus had gone from being a good carpenter to being a guy who was acting as if he was the Messiah of Israel. And his siblings were still living in Nazareth, going about business as usual. At one point, Jesus' family thought that he had lost his mind. 
We read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about how during his ministry, Jesus' family went to collect him and bring him home. It says in Mark chapter 3, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they, that means he and his disciples, could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying he's out of his mind. They went out to pull him and drag him home. He was embarrassing them. They thought he had gone crazy. And then it says in verse 31, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. As Jesus' ministry continued to grow, his family realized that they couldn't contain him any longer. And so the tension continued to build. And then we read in that passage, just before I prayed, that passage from John chapter 7, about how there was this time when his brothers, James and Joseph and Judas, they were going up to Jerusalem for a festival. Jesus had already gained great notoriety, and the Jewish leaders were already seeking to kill him. And we see in John 7 that they are mocking him, saying, Hey, big brother, if you want to be famous, don't stay here in little town of Nazareth. Go up to the big city of Jerusalem. That's where you want to do all your magic tricks. And it says, for even his brothers didn't believe him. Not long after that, of course, things escalated to the breaking point. The Jewish leaders who felt threatened by Jesus conspired against him during a Passover festival in Jerusalem. They created a mob of thousands demanding that Pontius Pilate crucify Jesus and Pontius Pilate capitulated. He caved under their pressure. And at Jesus' crucifixion, the only family member present was his mother, Mary. But then, of course, something happened. The book of Acts in the New Testament is a history book of the early church that picks up after the resurrection of Jesus around 33 AD. And we read in Acts how the message of Christ expanded at an exponential rate after he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit came upon all the early believers. And they went out preaching. And thousands and thousands of people, believers, I'm sorry, Jewish people and non-Jewish people became converted to Christianity. And they became adopted members of this family of Jesus, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we read in Acts chapter 15, around 48 AD, there was an important church summit. It was called the Jerusalem Council. And it was called of the leaders of the early Christian movement in Jerusalem to resolve some tensions. The Apostle Paul had been preaching to non-Jewish people, converting them to Christianity. But then there were the Jewish believers. And so they had to come to some agreement among the leaders of Christianity about what they would require of non-Jewish converts to Christianity. And who would arise and be named as the presider at that church summit but James, the little brother of Jesus? He offered the solution that resolved the matter. James, the little brother of Jesus. And it's been a 
accepted fact of church history that James, the half-brother of Jesus, served as the first bishop of the church in Jerusalem, likely ordained by Peter and John the Apostle. But wait a minute. Something happened. How did James go from thinking his big brother was crazy to leading the church in Jerusalem and the first Christian council? Well, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, around 53 AD, we get the rest of the story. It says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 3, Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, that's believers, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, meaning they've died. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to Peter and his 12 disciples, and he spent time with them on a repeated basis. He ate with them, he cooked for them, he walked with them, he spent time with them over this 40-day period before he ascended back to heaven. And we also read during that time, Paul says, he appeared to a gathering of over 500 people at one time in his resurrected body, giving them convincing proof that he had defeated death through resurrection. And then at some point before he appeared to the apostle Paul and set Paul in motion, he made a special visit, a personal visit to someone who was very important to him. And that was his little brother, James. And I was just trying to imagine what that meeting must have been like when the resurrected Jesus made a personal visit to the brother closest to him in age, whom he had grown up with, maybe shared a bedroom with. I would assume they had a pretty good relationship for most of their uh, childhood and then adult life before Jesus went off to that revival at the river. And then James, how he had seen everything unravel. The crucifixion, how painful that must have been for the entire family. James must have been just in such distress, saying, how could it have come to this? And then James had heard stories of how his brother was supposedly appearing to people, come back to the, from the dead, and then he visited James. What must that have been like? What must that reunion have been like? What must that conversation have been like? Whatever it was, James became a believer. He came to believe that his older brother, whom he thought was crazy, was actually the Son of God sent from heaven to die for the sins of the world. And then in the book of Acts, at some point, we see things continue in the church to the point that King Herod had the apostle James, not the little brother of Jesus, but the apostle James, the brother of John, martyred. So there was an opening among the 12 apostles. And so at some point after that, James, the little brother of Jesus, was respected by the apostles, and he became in this leadership group. 
And some have said that he even replaced the other James among the 12 apostles. That's speculation, I'm not sure. But James, the little brother of Jesus, his integrity was so great and his consistency of character was so well respected that he became known even among non-Christians as James the Just. So the book of James that we're going to be studying here together, it is considered to be the earliest book written in the New Testament, written between 40 and 44 AD before the Great Jerusalem Council. James doesn't give any indication of his title or claim any authority over people. It's believed that he didn't need to because his reputation, he was so well known that people would have known who James was. He simply says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really treasure this verse. The word servant in the Greek is the word doulos. Some translations translate it as slave here or bondservant. It's the same word used for slave. James simply identifies himself as a slave of God and a slave of Jesus, his older brother, whom he now worships as the Christ and the Son of God, and he declares to be Lord. How about that? What a transition from he's my big brother, he's crazy, to I am his slave, he is Lord, he is the Messiah, come from God. Now, the letter of James is also referred to as one of the seven Catholic letters in the New Testament. Catholic with a lowercase c, and that simply means universal. Whereas many of Paul's letters were written to specific people in specific towns, such as Galatians, written to the Christians in Galatia. Uh, Romans, written to the Christians in Rome. Uh, James is written to the church at large, just as uh, Peter was written to the church at large, Second Peter. First um, John, Second John, Third John, Jude. They're called Catholic letters. They bear the name of the author rather than the recipients. So it was written uh, very early, uh, and James would have had Jewish believers in mind at this point. That's what he means when he says the 12 tribes of the dispersion. This is people from the 12 tribes of Israel who had dispersed abroad from Jerusalem into other parts of the Roman Empire and had become followers of Jesus Christ. And so he writes in the language of ancient Jewish wisdom literature in this letter, which was meant to be circulated among all the early Christians. Now, something else that's really important to know about James. Something else happened in his life in 62 AD. Again, it was at a Passover festival in Jerusalem when hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims would have been gathered to celebrate and remember the Passover of Exodus in the Old Testament. And at this point, James had been the leader of the church in Jerusalem for some time. And again, the leaders of the Jews in uh, Jerusalem were furious that so many Jewish people were converting over to Christianity. So they took James to the top of the pinnacle in the temple. And as people were looking up at this event, they told James to tell everyone to stop worshiping Jesus as the Son of God. And James instead told them the opposite and declared Jesus as Lord. So the scribes and Pharisees threw James off the pinnacle of the temple. When he fell to the ground in front of all the people, it didn't kill him. So then they moved to stone him. Someone dissuaded them, and so they picked up a club 
and they clubbed him to death with everyone watching. Just as Jesus had one time during a Passover died for James, it was James' turn to die for Jesus. That's the one who wrote this letter of James. Before we conclude, let me just share three applications from this background information on James, the little brother of Jesus. First is let the evidence of James strengthen you. You know, even though I'm a pastor, just like everyone else, I have moments when it pops into my head. Is any of this really true? Like, what if none of this is true? Do you ever have those moments where you think, is Christianity really true? Sure, I have those moments too. The thought just comes out of nowhere. I'll tell you, as I go back every now and then, and I just look at the evidence again, I find it so compelling that James, the biological brother of Jesus, became a follower of his brother as the son of God and was even willing to die for him. What would it take for you to convince a younger sibling that you had risen from the dead, that you were the Messiah, to convince that younger sibling to die for you? I think it's incredibly compelling. He was well-respected by Jewish people and Christians alike as James the Just, and he was willing to die because he believed that his brother was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I find that very strengthening. Let that strengthen you. The Jesus that we worship rose from the dead in history. He rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death for all who would believe. Be strengthened by this. This is significant evidence for our consideration. Now, the second thing is this. It's let the martyrdom of James convict you. You know, it had to be one of those moments where James would have thought, would it be that big of a deal for me to just do what these leaders are telling me to do and just tell people to calm down a little bit, that Jesus isn't Lord or you don't have to worship him? It was a moment of decision. He was up at this high point, knowing very well what would happen if he didn't denounce his brother and tell people to stop worshiping him. But he did it anyway. I would imagine that in this moment, perhaps the words of his brother Jesus were echoing in his head. The words of Matthew chapter 30, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, where Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. You know, probably you will never be dragged to the top of the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. But you will have moments where it will be easier for you to just cave in a little bit on your commitment to Christ, on your commitment to living out your faith in godliness and holiness, where it's going to cost you something, where people are looking to see whether you will go with the flow or you'll stand for Jesus. Be convicted by James and his martyrdom. When the moment arises, choose courage and let the chips fall where they may. It says in the book of Revelation that there'll be no cowards in heaven. The cowardly, the immoral, they'll be outside the gates. So choose courage in the moment where God asks it of you. We all will have those moments, even though they won't be as dramatic as uh, James was for sure. Finally, is let the surrender of James 
inspire you. James' identity became, I am a servant of God. I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one, or despise the other. Jesus asked for our total allegiance. As a matter of fact, the book of James is written primarily to Christians who are going through tough times and their faith might be wavering. And he's calling them to not have a divided heart, but to be fully committed to living out the path of Jesus. Let the surrender of James to Jesus inspire you to fully surrender your life to Jesus. Sure, we're going through tough times. Sure, the world is hard. Sure, the culture is changing. and It's more and more hostile to Christianity and teachings of Jesus with every passing year. It's time for us to decide that we are submitted to Jesus as Lord and Jesus only. And that we trust him with our lives, with our futures, no matter what may come. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the courage of James, the little brother of Jesus. I pray, Jesus, that you would just appear in all of our hearts and minds and make yourself known to us just as you made known yourself to James. Strengthen us through your word. Strengthen us through the witness of others. Help us to follow you and love you more and more. Lord, I pray that you would now pour out your spirit and increase our faith as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us declare what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.